want to give you a sense of what's going on in our church in the next six days. Um, big picture stuff, really. Um, God has used um, men and women uh, to raise up men and women who are now scattered all over the world. And we have missionaries making their way here now. And all of them were either raised here or saved here or called by God here to go on mission. And this morning, you're going to hear from a pastor who came to faith here and who was raised here. He's been here since uh, he was here at the age of eight. Uh, how many of you guys remember uh, Josh Howerton when he was a little guy? Yeah, a lot of you. And so it's an awesome thought to me to think about what next missionary or pastor is in our children's area right now? What next pastor or missionary just went into children's class and something you just taught? It's an exciting thought to, to see how God has been so good to allow us to be a sending church and a church that raises up leadership for the current and the next generation. And so we get to hear from a, a great preacher today, uh, one that God has called and is using mightily. And so if you would, welcome Pastor Josh Howardson. Well, hey, Living Oak family, if you got your Bibles, um, head over to James 127. That's where we're going to be today. Um, James 127. And uh, I do just want to start just saying, this is a little surreal for me. Uh, like Pastor Jason just mentioned, um, this was my home church from the time I was seven until I graduated uh, from high school. And so just looking around the room, you know, uh, I was saved in this church. Um, I grew up with my dad preaching, like, in this spot. Um, as an associate pastor of this church, I was baptized right over there. God called me to ministry on the third row, right over to here. Um, I met my wife when she was a kids' ministry intern, right over that way. And as you're going to hear in just a second, um, my daughter was a part of this church before my daughter was a part of my own family. And so uh, it is a little surreal. Surreal. I was texting a buddy and just telling him, man, uh, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And, uh, and so I was just texting a buddy like, man, it's a, it's a little nerve-wracking to preach, you know, in the, in the you know, church he grew up in. I want to read you his text message to me. He said, Josh, don't try to be witty or funny or intelligent. Just be you. <laughs> uh, thanks, man. Thanks. You got it. Well, let me do this. Um, there is something that is uh, very central to my heart and something that is very central increasingly to the heart of Living Hope. Um, that I want to preach uh, preach into today. Um, and the great thing about what I'm preaching today is it is, is totally non-controversial. It is uniformly uh, something that, uh, that every Christian across every continent, every country, every century um, agrees on. And, uh, and here's how I'd say it. There are a lot of differences among the people of God. Um, Jewish people do not recognize Jesus as Messiah. Protestants do not, Protestant people do not recognize the Pope as an authority. Uh, Baptist people do not recognize each other in the liquor store. <laughs> but, 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 but there is one thing that if you were to take all of the Catholic people from all across the centuries, you were to put them all on this side of the room. And if you were to take all of the Protestant people and all their denominations and their divisions, that kind of thing, and put them over here, the Methodists and the Anglicans and the Presbyterians and the Reformed and the Deformed and the Informed and all those people, just put them over here. There is one thing that every person in the room would be unified on. It is that caring for the orphan is central to the heart of God. Central. And so that's what I want to preach into today. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to do one verse. I want to read it to you. James 1, 27. And this is what it says. 
James 1.27 says, watch this, religion that is pure and undefiled before, now watch this, before God the Father, that's so interesting that it delineates God the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. Um, it's too famous a verse for me to do this, but what I wish I could do right now is give everybody a pop quiz. And I could write the first half of the verse, religion that's pure and undefiled before God is this blank. And have you fill in the blank on what you think? Because what's interesting is um, the Bible doesn't say that religion that's pure before God is this incredible Bible knowledge. It doesn't say religion that's pure before God is this, you know, passionate worship or a Martin Luther-type prayer life or fearless evangelism. None of those things is what the Bible says is central to the heart of God in James 1.27. It says, you want to know what's central to God's heart. Here's what it is. Care for the orphan. That's the thing that is central to the heart of God. Now, um, let me say something that has a bit of an edge to it, and then uh, you guys just kind of track with me. Um, what James 1.27 means is that you can be in 15 Bethmore Bible studies and be able to quote entire chapters of the Bible. If you're not caring for the orphan in some way, then you're missing what's central to the heart of God. Uh, now, what's interesting about this passage is that what James does is he's tugging on a thread that runs its way through the entire Bible, okay? So, for you Bible scholars, let me show you some things you may have never noticed before in the Scriptures. God is obsessed with the orphan, okay? So, uh, here's one. This is from Exodus 22. Now, this is right when God first starts giving the law to His people. And, and watch what He says. He's going to point out four types of people who are His favorites. He says, You shall not wrong a sojourner, uh, that's a biblical word for an immigrant, or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow. There's the second person. Or, here's the third person, or fatherless child. That's the word the Bible is going to use to refer to the orphan uh, for the rest of the scriptures. If you do mistreat them, and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you. God is not above a good threat. With the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you, who is, here's the fourth category of person, poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. Now, here's what's interesting. Those four categories of people are going to be near God's heart for all of the Bible. The orphan, the widow, the poor, and the immigrant. Theologians call those four groups of people the quartet of the vulnerable. And for the rest of the Bible, what God teaches is that I will measure your love for me by your love for those groups of people, okay? So that's the first one. I'll give you another one. Um, this next passage is from the book of Job. Now, you guys know uh, the book of Job, the story of Job. A uh, quick uh, quiz for you, you Bible scholars. Uh, the devil came to test Job by taking from him everything in his life except his wife. And that's probably because it seemed like she was on his side. Uh, she was uh, uh, quite a piece of work. In fact, the only sentence that Job uh, uh, that she is quoted as saying in the book of Job is, curse God and die. Wonderful woman. And this is what Job says in Job 31 when he defends his own righteousness. Watch this. He says, if I've withheld anything the poor desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless has not eaten of it, for from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. 
So there it is again. I'll give you another one. This next one is from Psalm 68. There is one time in the Bible where God gives himself a nickname. And he says, hey, if you want to know what I'm about, here's who I am. And he says, here's who I am. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God his holy habitation. In other words, you want to know who I am? I'm the God who cares for the orphan. That's, that's what I'm about. Um, I'll give you one last one that you may have never noticed before. Um, think about this. When God came to earth in the flesh, do you realize that he came as an adopted child? Uh, think about this. The Bible consistently calls Joseph Jesus' father, even though Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. How? <laughs> Jesus was adopted on his father's side. And then here in James 1.27. So here's the question. Why is God so obsessed with the orphan? Why is this thing here? Um, this math is actually pretty easy. Here's how this math works. God loves, God is obsessed with the orphan because God loves people. And orphans are the world's most hurting people. It's really that simple. Because God loves people, and orphans are the world's most hurting people. Let me give you some stats to put this into perspective. Um, right now, there are 400,000 children in the United States foster care system. 100,000 of them are waiting to be adopted, hoping that a family will choose them. Every year, 30,000 children age out of the United States foster care system. Uh, and here's, here's how you age out of the U.S. foster care system. The day you turn 18, you are handed a $500 check, shown the door of your foster home, uh, and told, good luck. Now, let me ask you, ask you a question. How do you think you would have done at age 18 with no family, no support system, no college education, $500 check? Good luck. Now, I think not real well. Um, the largest area of the orphan crisis in the world today is in Asia. In Asia right now, there are an estimated 60 million orphans. Um, if you are, one thing I read this week said, if you were to take all of the orphans from all the countries in the world and put them together to form their own country, that country would be the seventh largest nation on earth. Orphans, okay? Now, um, that is having tremendously devastating effects on nations and societies and cultures. Um, some research I, I ran across in pre uh, prep for this sermon, um, it's really interesting. In the United States alone, uh, listen, this is, th this is the researcher's language, not my language. In the United States alone, fatherlessness, their language, not mine, fatherlessness is the number one contributor to five of the greatest uh, societal destructors in our nation today. So all five things I'm getting ready to read, the research shows that fatherlessness is the number one contributor to all of them. They are crime, homelessness, unwed pregnancy, poverty, and future fatherlessness. Fatherless, the number one contributor. Joseph Stalin, who I'm not used to quoting in sermons on compassion, Joseph Stalin said, the death of one is a tragedy, but the death of a million is just a statistic. So some of you guys are hearing like, man, 60 million, 100,000, $30,500. And like that doesn't register. Um, so, so let me do this. Let me give you the story of one. Okay, let me give you the story of one. So um, uh, I mentioned uh, earlier, actually I didn't mention earlier. Can, can I go back to the, the first picture? Can I do that? You guys help me out with that? So this is my family. Um, if you didn't know, this is my wife, Jana, over here. This is my oldest daughter, Eliana, and my youngest daughter, Felicity, right here. Um, if you can't tell, uh, they look a little different than us. 
Um, adoption is a big part of our story. My church in Nashville has adopted uh, over 70 children, and a lot of that has been born out of our family. Adoption is a big part of our family. So uh, this next picture is my favorite picture of my two daughters. Just go ahead and tell me. That's, that's it right there. That's my favorite picture. We call that their mean mug. That's the mean mug, right? And so they got that. They got that going on now. Uh, my oldest daughter here, Eliana, um, she is. Let me go, go to this next one. The, the, so let's do that. So this is Eliana Felicity. Give me a good aww. Oh, that's Eliana. Thank you so much. So now they have not. Eliana has not always enjoyed being Felicity's sister, like she looks like she is in this picture. So wait, don't throw the next picture up on the screen yet. The next picture you're getting ready to see is Felicity's uh, gotcha day. It's the day we brought her into our home for the first time when we received her. When I throw this picture up on the screen, see if you can find Eliana's face. Go ahead and show that one. See that? Right? I mean, she just thrilled, just thrilled to be a big sister. And then this one is my uh, my favorite picture of me and Eliana right here now. Um, Eliana is now seven. And when Eliana was like two or three, um, she started noticing like, hey, like, you know, hey, mom and dad, you and me are different, you know, like, your peeps, I'm brown, and what happened, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and she started asking lots of questions. And um, there was one night where uh, I was tucking Eliana in the, into bed, and uh, Eliana was like very visibly emotional. And so I was just like, hey, babe, like, tell me what's going on. Like, what's bothering you right now? Like, you, you can talk to me. And uh, she grabbed my hand. And uh, she started crying, and Eliana uh, just said, a three-year-old Eliana asked me, Daddy, why didn't my mommy want to keep me? And uh, there's nothing that prepares you for that question. And so I was like, Jana, get in here. You know, <laughs> somebody, somebody. And we sat down, and that night Eliana cried, and we just, uh, we just told her the truth. We said, hey, babe. Listen, here's the old, your birth mommy, she loved you so much. She loved you so much that when she realized she wouldn't be able to give you the life that she knew that you deserved, she made the hardest decision that she would ever make, and she placed you for adoption so that you would have the life she wanted you to have. And then we explained, and Eliana, we chose you. We picked you. And then we said, we said, all these other families with the boring biological kids, they got stuck with their kids. We chose you. We picked you, right? And you are so loved. And, uh, and we just say that to her all the time. And uh, now, when we tuck Eliana into bed at night, um, there's four things Eliana prays for every single night. Um, number one, she prays, dear God, no fires. Logical, you know. Uh, Number two, uh, dear God, um, please don't let any bugs crawl on me while I'm asleep. Totally understand. Uh, number three, dear God, no bad dreams. And then um, every night when we tuck Eliana into bed, she prays him, and dear God, thank you that I have a mommy and a daddy. She said, dear God, thank you I have a mommy and a daddy. And you guys understand that there's a hundred million people in the world. who they, they don't even get to pray, dear God, thank you that I have a mommy and a daddy. Um, now, can I encourage you for a second? <laughs> Let me encourage you. Uh, my encouragement is uh, you are a part of a church that cares about this. 
um, Living Hope is pressing into this. Number one, uh, I don't know if you know this, this church has an adoption fund where they scholarship families who press into adoption and foster care. Um, do you guys realize what's getting ready to happen as Living Hope finishes its pregnancy center on the front, front of the property? My church in Nashville, we just finished pay, paying off the mortgage for a crisis pregnancy center there. So let me go ahead and tell you what's getting ready to happen in this church. Um, what's going to happen is... Moms who are really scared are going to stumble into that building on the front of this property, and they are going to be abortion-minded. And they're going to walk in, and for the first time in their entire terrifying three months, someone's going to tell them that they've got options. And they're going to be told that your child can have a life and a hope and a future. And children are going to walk in there that would otherwise have been terminated, and their lives are going to be saved because that place exists. Those children, this is happening in our church, it's going to happen in this church. Those children are going to end up being adopted by some of you sitting in these seats. And you guys who serve in Living Hope Kids Ministry, you are going to be discipling children in your kids' ministry who otherwise would have had their lives terminated. That's awesome. That's awesome. That was a good, that's right, that was a good applause moment right there. So, man, let me just encourage you, like, this church cares about this. Now, here's a big question. Why does the Bible tie care for the orphan to what it means to follow Christ as a disciple? Like, what, let, me, let me, what's the logic of James 1.27? Religion is pure and undefiled before God is to care for the orphan. What's the motivation? Well, let me give you a little quick theology lesson. <clears throat> The difference between Christianity and, and every other religion is that in every other religion, your activity leads to your identity. So it's like what you do determines who you are in God's sight in every other religion, worldview, and philosophy that has ever existed. So it's if you obey enough, if you uh, if you meditate and you know do, do that kind of thing, if you are devoted enough, if you are as devoted as you need to be to the five pillars then you become one of the saved or you achieve nirvana. So watch this. In every other religion, your activity determines your identity. Christianity is the exact opposite. In Christianity, our identity determines our activity. Who we are determines what we do. So, so Christian, do you understand? You are not your sin. You've been given a new name. You are not your divorce, your abortion, or your addiction. You are not what happened to you that one day. You are not what you did that one day. And you may look at me and say, man, man Josh, yeah, but that's the biggest thing that ever happened in my life. No, it isn't. Jesus dying on the cross for you is the biggest thing that ever happened in your life. See, it is our identity that determines and shapes our activity, our identity that determines and shapes our activity, okay? What we do, who we are leads to what we do. Now, let me, let me make this personal. Okay, in my own life, um, whenever people ask Jana and I, um, hey, so why did you guys choose to adopt? The answer I think they're expecting to hear is infertility. That's a big part of our story. We uh, have been diagnosed with, with what's called uh, unexplained infertility, which is exactly what it sounds like it means. It means you can't have kids, and we have no idea why. Super helpful, right? Um, but that's not, that's not the answer. Jana and I made the decision to adopt Way back when we first started dating, we already knew we wanted to adopt. So, so watch this. Our main reason for adoption wasn't biology. It was theology. That's what led us to adopt. We understood who we were, and that changed what we wanted to do. Now, um, if this is not 
making any sense uh, for you Bible scholars in the room, let me connect some dots for you in the scriptures that you may have never pieced together before. Um, so, dot number one. Have you ever noticed right before Jesus goes to the cross, he turns to his disciples and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He doesn't say, I won't leave you alone. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Why? Um, if you've ever known somebody who's adopted internationally, you know that those families usually take two trips to the nation from which they adopt. On the first trip they go, and watch this, they execute everything necessary to change the legal status of the child. So that's what they go on the, on the first trip. And then they come home, and there's a waiting period, and the next time they come, they're bringing that kid all the way home. Okay, now watch this. What Jesus is saying is, I'm making two trips. And on his first trip, what he did is he went to the cross and he executed everything necessary to change your legal status before him. And how many of y'all know the next time he comes, he's going to be bringing his kids all the way home, amen? That's what he's going to do. So as he said, it's an adoption analogy. Um, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that um, the Bible says that before you were a Christian, the devil was your father? <laughs> Jesus said to un- unbelieving people, he said, here's your problem. You are of your father, the devil. But now when you become a Christian, you have a new father, God. How do you get a new father? Adoption. Um, What about this? When Romans 8 describes the prayer life of a Christian, what analogy does it use? Romans 8 says, For you have been given a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Um, The book of Revelation says that when your adoption is complete and Jesus returns to establish his kingdom, it says that God will give you a new name. He will whisper you, how do you get a new name? Adoption. Uh, Last one. Why is it that Galatians chapter 4 says that the cross was the redemption price that God was paying to bring you into a new family? You know what's happening? What happened when Jesus went to the cross? He was paying his adoption fees. And he was saying, at the cost of my own blood, I'll do whatever it takes to bring this child into my family. Now, do you guys see what I'm driving at here? What the Bible says is that adoption is the controlling analogy for you understanding what has been done for you in your salvation. It is the controlling analogy. Understanding we are adopted leads us to become adopting and orphan caring. I might say it like this. The clearest sign that you've been adopted by God is that you've developed a heart for the care and adoption of orphans, okay? Now, if, again, if it's still in making sense, let me, let me make it super personal. Um, when you adopt a child, uh, it creates a lot of moments uh, in your life, okay? Um, adoption, sometimes it creates uh, very, it cre- sometimes it creates funny moments. Um, there was a, a, a day a few, it was about a year ago, Jan and I were upstairs watching our favorite TV show, Blackish. And uh, our daughter, Eliana, was watching with us while Jana was doing the laundry. And Eliana was looking at the TV, and all of a sudden, her eyes just got really big, like something dawned on her. And she was just like this, like, you know, staring at the screen. And she looked at Jana, and she said, Mom, can you imagine if our whole family was brown? Can you even imagine? Can you imagine a whole brown family? We were like, babe, we can, but we can't do that for you. Yeah, I'm really, really sorry, you know. So it creates some funny moments. It, uh, adoption creates some, you know, really frustrating moments. Um, there was a day earlier this year where I was at Kroger, and in the checkout line, there was a lady in front of me asking about, you know, our story, and I told her about the adoptions. And then in front of my two girls, she asked me the question, are you ever going to have any real children? Yeah, that's how I felt too. 
And, uh, and I looked at her, and what I wanted to say was, you're about to have a real black eye. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, so, I mean, it does. It just it creates some really frustrating moments. But more than anything else, what adoption does is it, it creates, like, it creates amazing moments. Like, moments that will rip your heart out in all of the most awesome ways, okay? Um, so, I talked about my older daughter, Eliana, earlier. Um, let me show you this next picture I'm getting ready to toss up. This is my younger daughter right after a Titans touchdown a couple weeks ago. This is Felicity. Boom. That's it. She's really excited. That, by the way, that's the last time you'll ever see her topless. That's it. That's your only time. Uh, now, um, this next picture, this is, um, this is the most emotional day that we've had in our entire three years with Felicity. Um, this was Felicity's adoption finalization day, is what this was. And, um, and if you look real close, you can tell uh, Janice, there's no mascara. Janice, a disaster right here. And uh, what happened on that day, this was when we had had, had Felicity long enough um, for her legal status to be changed. And so uh, there came a day where we had had our precious little daughter. And uh, we drove up to downtown Nashville, where we live. And, um, and we drove to the courthouse and we stood in front of the judge. And that day, that judge asked us three questions. Um, the judge said to us, Josh and Jan Howerton, do you understand that the child's name will be legally changed to Felicity Hope Howerton? And we said, yeah, we do. And they said, Josh and Jana Howerton, do you understand that henceforth she will have the right to an inheritance from you and that upon your death, everything in your ownership will be transferred to her ownership? And we say, yeah, we do. And then he said, Josh and Jana Howerton, do you accept responsibility for her physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way? And we say, yeah, we do. And then we cried like prom queens. I mean, it was just like, it was just a total disaster. But, but what was really interesting was in that moment, we, we were thinking about Felicity, but we weren't even primarily thinking about Felicity. We were primarily thinking about us. <laughs> we were primarily, here's what we were thinking. We were thinking, that is what was done for us. You see, do you guys understand, if you are a Christian, there was a day in history past when Jesus Christ, who the Bible calls your Redeemer, stood in front of the judge of the universe and he was asked questions on your behalf with you on his heart. The God of the universe as a judge, one day in history passed with you on his heart, he looked at Jesus and he said to you, Jesus Christ, do you understand that the name of this child who was previously called not my people will be legally changed to son of the living God? And Jesus said, yeah, I do. He said, Jesus Christ, do you understand that henceforth he will have the right to inherit everything that is yours, and that upon your death, everything in your ownership will be transferred to his ownership. And Jesus Christ said, yes, I do. The meek shall inherit the earth. And then number three, he said, Jesus, do you accept responsibility for Josh? This is the day of my salvation. Josh, physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way. And in that moment, what Jesus did, he said, he said at any cost, yes. And that is how you became a son or a daughter of the living God. You were adopted by the living God of the universe. That is irrevocably yours. Your identity has been changed. You are not your sin anymore. What you do does not determine who you are. Who you are now shapes what you do. And your inheritance is secure, your identity is changed, and you have a hope and you have a future. Now listen, here's a big question, man. Like, when you understand that at a deep level, what happens to people and churches that understand that is they have hearts that increasingly explode for the orphan because they understand that we were orphans and were adopted by God, okay? 
So let me just speak to you right now. By the way, I have never preached this sermon and it not moved someone to make a decision that changes their entire life. You're welcome. Okay? So, so let me just say, some of you, like, right now, while I'm preaching, there's something happening in your spirit, and you're like, oh, crap. You know, what is the Lord, you know, what is the Lord doing here? So can I speak to you? I don't know if I can say that. I'm at Living Hope. Let me. Can I speak to you if, like, right now, like, you're wrestling with something in your spirit? Because some of you right now, um, you, the thought of adoption or foster care or helping in any way it is scary. Um, for some of you right now be think, might be thinking, man, if we make that decision, that's one biological child that we wanted to have that we won't have. Um, l- let me tell you what was going on in my heart when I was, like, not on the same page as Jana before we made the decision to adopt our third child. What might be on your heart is, man, but if I do that, that's like a few extra years before I become an empty nester and can travel and do cool fun stuff. Like, just to be really honest with you, that's what was my problem. For some of you, the thought of coming alongside of a foster family and just saying, hey, we'll babysit for you once a week so that you're not in this alone, you're like, yeah, man, but that'd be another night a week that I can't, like, Netflix binge. And I'm really into whatever it is, right? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so so how, how do we approach this? Well, do you guys remember what Jesus said? What Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me and he does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now listen, you may hear that and say, hey, you know, hate, if you're a new Christian, hey, I'm supposed to hate my father, mother, wife, children, that doesn't make any sense. Well, let me help you understand what Jesus is saying here um, with an analogy. This is the last picture I'm going to show. I didn't mean for this to be a slideshow, okay? This is a, uh, this is a, uh, my, our dog Jack that I bought Jana, my wife, um, about five years ago for Christmas. He's really cute, isn't he? He's a cute dog. Jack's real cute. Um, when we got Jack home, Jack was awesome with the exception that he had, like, literal doggy mental illness. And so we brought do- Jack home. Um, if you, this was not fun. If you just touched Jack, he would just urinate on command. It was terrible. Uh, but then number two, he, uh, whenever we brought our two daughters home, Jack had this thing where the larger they got, the more aggressive he became. So he would, like, snap at them, bark at them, snarl at them. Sometimes he would, like, corner them in parts of the houses and intimidate them. And uh, there eventually came a day where Jack bit my infant daughter. Unprovoked. Bit my infant daughter. Now, the second he did that, I picked up a phone and I started calling doggy rescue shelters to figure out who's going to take Jack. And I figured out really quick that they don't take dogs that have bitten children. So as soon as I found that out, I hung up the phone. I walked straight into my kitchen. I opened a drawer. I got out a long, sharp knife. I walked into the living room. I picked up Jack. I walked Jack into our backyard behind our shed. I lifted up Jack. I'm, kid- I'm totally kidding. I didn't do this. That's, totally, that's a joke. That's a joke. But I had you. But I had you, right? No, but I did. Listen. But I did put Jack down. I did. And I've never regretted it. That that may make some of you really angry. If you're really angry at that, you can email me at jason.pettis at lhbg.org. You can email me right there. But listen, you may go, man, Josh, listen, you may ask the question, did you hate Jack? I didn't hate Jack. I actually really like Jack. But in comparison to my love for my children, my love for Jack looked like hate. And when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you got to be willing to hate your father, mother, wife, children. 
you say, man, yes, love those things. But in comparison to your love for me, your love for those things needs to look like hate. And for some of you, like God might be calling you to make a decision like now. It's like laying one of those things on the altar. So let me land the plane right here and just issue some challenges. I'm going to start with something that, that, that may be really hard for some of you to hear. I issue this challenge in every church I preach about adoption. I, I will always do it. Quick disclaimer. Not everyone is called to adopt. And if a Christian family chooses to never adopt, they've done absolutely nothing wrong and should carry no false guilt whatsoever. But this is a challenge that I'm going to issue you to every young family, to every unmarried person, to every person who has space in their life and their home. I simply am challenging you to ask God if he would have you make one of your children a child through adoption or foster care. Just ask him, God, is that what you would have me do? If he does, it's going to be a lot of fun, I promise. Okay, so that's one. Now, some of you, you're not in that stage at all. And you're like, hey, man, like, that's not the life stage we're in. Like, our quiver's real full, you know. Like, you know, that's, that's not where we're at. Well, luckily, and I can't say this at all churches, but I can say this here. You are in a church that actually uses the money that you give in amazing ways. Now, I can say something right now that Pastor Jason can't say, so let me just say it. You may never adopt but by contributing here financially, you will help dozens or hundreds of children find homes that otherwise might not have. Listen, so do it. Like, plow into the kingdom with everything you have because it's being used well here. And then last thing. Man, some of you, like, as this pregnancy resource center is finishing, like, even right now while I'm preaching, the Lord is tugging at your heartstrings, and that needs to be your thing. That's like a new calling the Lord is placing on your life. Press into it. You'll never regret it. So right now, what I want to simply ask you to do is in some way, find a way to make religion that is pure and undefiled before God, a care for the orphan, a part of your life. And right now, I just want, I want to pray for you. And so if you guys could, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, and just let me pray for you. And number one, Father, what I pray is that more than anything else, you would make the reality of our adoption in Jesus explode in our hearts. Um, God, I pray that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that right now, um, that we would actually feel like sons and daughters of the living God, and we would cry out to you with this childlike trust and care, knowing that our dad hears us. Um, but Father, what I also pray is that as this church and these people become aware of our adoption in Jesus, that we would become people who spark a movement to care for the orphan among the nations. And so, Father, pour out your spirit here in a way that this church's light shall break forth like the dawn, like the word, your word in Isaiah says. So, Father, please let that happen. And we lay ourselves in front of you with open hearts. We pray those things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, Living Hope fam, if you guys could go ahead and stand. Do you do that right now? And then what I want to ask you to do during this last song right now is just to take a quiet, open moment before the Lord and just say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? Um, some of you guys may do that at your seat. What would you have me do? Um, some of you might be wrestling with something on your heart. And man, I would just encourage you, make this place up here kind of your altar before the Lord. And you may need to bring a burden here and just say, God, this is yours. I've been resisting you. But whatever you need to do, just right now, open your heart to him and give yourself to him in a new way.